audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church, and um, I'm glad you're here. If no one's told you that this morning, I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here. I'm looking forward to this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, like, like Leanne said, uh, we're going to be in Luke 4. And we're going to actually finish out Luke 4 uh, together. Um, and so while you're getting there, we are coming into, to, uh, coming up on Halloween. Now, hate it, love it, ignore it, wherever you are with this, with this wonderful time of year, there is, there is something really interesting that happens uh, at Halloween. Um, other than, of course, the phenomenon, the national phenomenon of adults playing dress-up together. Um, just calling it like it is. It's weird, guys. Um, but there's something very interesting that happens, that happens at Halloween. And um, let me put it like this. We, we live in a very secular culture. And this one time of year, our culture as a whole will dabble into the spiritual one time a year, um, if you were to come to my house right now, you would drive through our neighborhood, and you would see many houses having the Halloween spirit, um, all kinds of just craziness from, from, you know, demons and monsters, zombies, skeletons coming out of the ground, and spiders. I don't like, that's not my favorite, but spiders everywhere, uh, werewolves, all of that. Um, by the way, for those of you who know my, my mother-in-law, um, there was a time, sorry, I'm sharing this. There was a time, um, they lived in Oklahoma at the time, and I'll never forget, we came to see them, and uh, their neighbor loved Halloween, and on their garage nearest to, to their house was a caged, ugly demon. Okay, just huge. It was actually pretty large, and it was this caged, nasty-looking demon. Um, I shouldn't be laughing, but it was motion sensor. That means every time, she went to her car. This demon would go, nah, and like eyes would turn red, hands would go out, and it would scream at her every morning with terror. Anyway, I don't, sorry for sharing that. Um, but if you, chances are, if you were to, to go into any of these homes that have the Halloween spirit, and you were to ask them, do you actually believe in this stuff? Do you actually believe? In, in all of this, um, chances are, for most, the answer would be no. It's done for fun. It's done for fun. The, the truth is we live in, in a secular society that largely discredits the spiritual, but yet on this weird time of year, we tip our hats to all things uh, supernatural, specifically the dark side, right? We, we tip our hats this time of year to it. And so no, no matter where you stand with Halloween, the, the interesting thing about Halloween is that us as a natural culture, by and large, collide with the supernatural. Uh, and so as we get to a text like the one that we're about to read, no doubt, in light of that, you're going to find yourself on, on a spectrum on one side or the other, and, and you don't have to answer out loud or, or say, I'm on that side. You don't have to do that, but as I define these, I want you to try the best that you can to just figure out where you would fall on, on this spectrum. So, so over here, we have all things spiritual, 
all things um, spiritual. There's, there's a spirit around every corner, under every rock, and behind all the things that happen to us in our lives. There's, this is a, it has a spiritual cause. You, on this side, are, are sensitive. Some might say super sensitive, hypersensitive. Um, but, but you wish, your, your wish, your prayer for the church is that the church, by and large, would do a better job of addressing this. Because you read your Bible, and you read we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You read that, and you, your heart breaks for the church, because if we are going to fight a spiritual battle, we need to know we're in one. We need to have the tools to fight. We need to at least talk about it once or twice. right? That's your, your heart for for the church, um, there are some in our church that you're going to, you're going to fall somewhere in this side, this spectrum. All right, maybe you're not all the way, but maybe you're right here. All right, so, so for many of us, we're going to fall fall on that side. As we read a text like the one we are about to look at, you say, "Yeah, let's do it. It's about time." Right? Um, so that's that's over here. Now, on the other side, we have um, all things natural. You could say all things physical, all things explainable, I guess is a good way to put it. So, so on, on this side, you, you kind of get uncomfortable when things kind of start appearing like they're hocus pocus a little bit, and, and, and you tend to see things very practically. Everything has a practical explanation. There's a reason for why things happen in our life, and we can... For most of life's problems. Now, for many on this side, let me give you credit. It's not that you deny spiritual things. You know, you've read your Bible. You know they're there. It's just never your first thing to jump to. Or your second. Close third, right? It's never your first, your first instinct to go, to go to the side. And in fact, you, you, you look around and you see people in your community and you're like, my goodness, they jump so quickly to, to explaining things away with attacks and all, and, and all of this. For you, uh, let me give you some, some practical ways that this might sound. So, so you don't have a spirit of debt. You have a spending problem. For you, you don't have the spirit of discouragement on your life. You need to get some sunlight. Take a walk, right? Uh, for, for you, it's not that you're being attacked by the demon of car problems. You just need a new battery. Right now, of course, I'm oversimplifying this, but hopefully you can see what I'm saying. Um, over here, there there's a discomfort in going too fast, too quickly to this other side and explaining everything um, as being spiritual. And again, let me say this: it's not that those who are over here do not believe in spiritual things; they just don't jump to them first. Make sense? All right, so I just defined this, this spectrum. Uh, and by the way, if you're over here, you know, you, you read the text that we're about to read and you go, <sighs> here we go, right? right? It's a different mindset approaching this. But, but as I laid that out, I want you to right now, in all honesty, uh, kind of put yourself, starting from here, going all the way over here. Just kind of put yourself where you think you would land on this spectrum. It, it, it helps, as we get into our text. Uh, and, and by the way, one thing I'll say before we get into to our text, um, no matter where you are, 
you're in a church that is radically committed to all of us together, growing in our understanding of God's word together. Whatever your background, wherever you land on this spectrum, maybe you're even embarrassed about where you land on the spectrum. That's okay. Um, You're in a place that you are welcome because together we're growing in our understanding and and you're invited to, to grow with us together. But one thing's clear is our Bible lays out for us that we are both physical and spiritual creatures. That we are both spiritual and natural. In church, we cannot separate them. We can't do it. We are both spiritual and, and, and natural. And, and here's where we're going. I'm just going to give it all away. Here's where we're going. Um, we are going to look today at a text that shows us that Jesus has authority over it all. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So I just gave it all away. But listen and listen to me regardless, all right? Uh, let me get us caught up a little bit. So last week, we looked, at, um, we, we looked at Jesus, who was rejected in his hometown. So he was a little bit of a hometown hero. He was growing in his popularity. And he preaches this weird sermon at a synagogue where he reads the prophet Isaiah's words and he says, you know that good news? You know what you're waiting for? You know the things that you are, you're waiting for the Messiah, you're waiting for the good news to arrive? And then Jesus says, I just fulfilled that in your hearing. So it was a pretty powerful moment. Uh, That was last week. But then what happens there is, is, strangely enough, things go very sour for Jesus, and in this moment, after he delivers this short and powerful sermon, they storm the, the stage. I don't know if there was a stage then. They storm it. They are very angry, filled with wrath. They take him out, and they want to plunge him off of a cliff. It escalated very quickly, right? Um, it, but that's, that's what happened. And then in verse 30, we get this weird scene where Jesus, I believe this is a miracle, they're bringing him to the cliff to toss him off and Where'd he go? He vanishes. Jesus Jesus is nowhere to be found. Uh, They lost him, and and he he escapes. So I believe that's a miracle. But the the reality is, like we talked about last week, is one day his life would be taken. One day he would face rejection that would require his life, but that day was not then. And so, as we called it, Ninja Jesus vanishes and he he slips away. So after he slips away, it brings us to our text in 31. Okay, so in 31, he he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, where he's teaching them on the Sabbath. He's at it again. Okay, he's at it again. He's doing the same thing, giving the sermon, uh, no doubt hoping for a bit of a different response than attempted murder this time around, but he's giving this sermon in the synagogue, and then 32, they were astonished at his teaching. And I love this. They said, for his word possessed authority. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, this is an incredible statement. Um, The book of Mark, by the way, records this, and and you don't have to turn there, but it records the same thing. And then in verse 22, it says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. And then Mark puts another phrase, not as the scribes. All right, so he contrasts them. So so this is an incredible statement here. And let me just kind of unpack a little bit what's going on. So typically at this time, when, when you are a teacher, you would teach and, and you would base your authority on um, the people who taught you. 
You would appeal to the authority of your teachers. You would appeal to um, those who you could quote, say, well, they said this, and it puts you into a place of authority. That's what the scribes did. Well, we've met people like this. I think most of us have, that you talk to them and you ask them a question. They are quick to quote a reference in a book. They are just well-known, and they said, well, that's not true because so-and-so said this, right? Um, We know people like, the scribes were a lot like that in that they were well-taught, they were well-respected, they had read all the books, they knew all the answers, and that put them in a place of authority. So the scribes would teach and often say things like, it is said blank. Or Rabbi so-and-so said blank. And it would give them a platform of authority and people would listen to them. Now, Jesus was not like that at all. And in fact, one of Jesus' most common intros to his sermons was, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. That's absurd in this context. Because in that, it's saying that, it's like, who teaches like this? Does he have the authority in and of himself to deny what has been said and to say something? I mean, who? They were astonished by this. And their astonishment continues to to grow. And they were astonished because of the authority. Authority that Jesus possesses. Um, And so with the rest of our text, here's what what Luke is going to put out before us. He's going to give us two uh, specific examples, followed by two more very vague and general examples, okay? And and each of these examples are just going to drive in their astonishment more and more at the authority of Jesus. And so let's look at the first one in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this response here um, to Jesus is one uh, of being threatened. Uh, it's an attempt by this demon to establish authority. So look at this. So it says, ha, what have you to do with us? Meaning... Why are you even bothering us? Leave us alone. Let us be. Stay out of our business. Why are you, what have you to do with us? And then the demon says, um, have you come to destroy us? And here you see the fact that there's a little feeling of being threatened. Have you come to destroy us? Then the demon says, this is a weird statement. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Um, At first reading, that can look like this demon is having a little bit of a salvation experience here, saying, I know who you are, you're Jesus, thank you, right? It looks like that, but as you look more in depth at the language used here, and and let me, it becomes really clear that this was a desperate cry by this demon to establish authority over Jesus, and let me explain what I mean by that. In this context, um, it was widely acknowledged that, that if you were to call someone out by name, it demonstrated your mastery or authority over the person that you called out. Uh, this is seen in, in Genesis. So when, Jesus, when, uh, when God creates man, creates animals, and says that, an, uh, that um, men are supposed to be in dominion over the animals, what was the first job? Name them. It's authority. 
It's authority. I named my boys. They're under my authority. It's an authority piece. And so here, this is a desperate cry by, by this demon to say, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. I know who you are. And Jesus responds in 35, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out, saying, uh, came out of him, having done no harm. 36, and, and they were all amazed and said to one another, listen to this, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So Jesus shows and proves in this moment that nothing, no power, seen or unseen, has authority over him. In this, no, no spiritual force has dominion over me. I, Jesus says, have authority over all. So no matter where you fall on this spectrum, okay, no matter where you are, I want you for a moment to take this in. Take this in, and I want you to consider the implication from this. Because if, and, and since, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has perfect authority over all things demonic and all things spiritual. And since the Bible tells us that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world, since that is true, um, then that should absolutely change our perspective. Because now no longer should the unseen world cause us to fear because our God is greater. Now the, the unseen stuff uh, doesn't cause us to cower because, again, our God is, is greater. Church, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was greater when he walked this earth. You can rest assured in the fact that our God, who, who has conquered sin, death, hell, Satan, demons, who conquered the grave, you can rest in the fact that he, church, is greater still. That he is greater still. Um, now, uh, just side note, pause real quick. Uh, don't hear me wrong. You are not greater. It's not greater is me. It's greater is, is he. And this is important because apart from Jesus Christ, you have no authority. None. Zero. Um, I'm reminded of a story that comes from Acts 19. You don't have to turn here. I have a weird sense of humor, so I love this text. It's one of my favorite stories uh, that, that it's kind of a cautionary tale if you will. So this comes from the city of Ephesus. So you have this city. Uh, God's actually doing some incredible things. I mean, listen to this. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he had, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. I mean, God was moving, right? That was this church. God was moving in some supernatural ways. Now, listen to this. Um, Again, I have a weird sense of humor, so follow with me. Some of you are like, I don't know why you're smiling right now. But <laughs> Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I abjure you uh, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. 
Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So these guys were like, I want in on this. I mean, I see some awesome things happening. People are getting healed, and all they're saying is this Jesus name, and so I'm going to just step in, and I'm going to, I got this. That didn't look that hard. So they step in. Didn't go well for them. Um, But the evil spirit answered them. (laughs) Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? I don't care who you are because that's just awesome. And then listen to this. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped, uh, leaped upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I, that's funny, right? <laughs> so, so from confident, I got this, to naked and wounded. It did not. It was an unfortunate turn of events for them. It says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So here's the point. Um, You're not powerful. You're not powerful, and you do not have authority in and of yourself. To play with these things is not wise. It is dangerous. And to use profound language, you don't got this, all right? These men were, were left wounded and naked. We don't play with these things. We don't play with these things. Yet, at the same time, we know that we have no fear. We have no fear because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Our Lord and Savior has complete and perfect authority and we can trust him. We can take him seriously. We can call on him. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. The Bible also says resist the devil and he will flee. Our call is to resist and when we do, our Savior is greater. And through Jesus Christ, the devil and his attackers will flee. So we resist him. We don't fear him. We do not fear him. Okay, I could spend more time, but we're going to move on. We'll come back, all right? Uh, So let's move forward to the second example in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, it's Jesus, and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So again, church, think about the authority that is on display in that moment. I don't know if any one of you who have had kids has ever had a a kid with a fever. I don't know if any of you have been able to just look at them and say, fever, fever gone, right? Of course you haven't. That's an absolute miracle. Even the fever, even the fever listens to his voice. Even the sickness and the fever bows to his authority, and this blows my mind. As you look at these two examples side by side, as you look at these two examples side by side, here's what's clear. 
Jesus has perfect authority over all things spiritual and natural. All things, both spiritual and natural. Another way to say this is Jesus has perfect authority over all things. All things. In church, that is good news. Luke goes on and he gives us uh, a couple more very vague and general examples. It's as almost as though he is saying, these were not isolated events. This is who Jesus was. So listen to this. It says, now when the sun was setting in verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Again, showing his authority over all things physical and natural. Then, verse 41, and demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, again, showing his authority over all things spiritual. Let me say it again. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has authority over all things. Amen, church? And let me add to this, um, in case you are wondering, you are not the exception. Your life is not the exception to this. You, you are not too messy. You are not too entangled. You are not too, no attack is too great. No mess is too messy. You are not the exception to this. So if you look at Jesus Christ has authority over all things, and if you add a but to the end of that phrase, but anything else, right? It, 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 here's my hope. Just be really honest. That if you've been adding a but to the end of that statement, that you stop it. Just stop it. You're like, well, thank you, Pastor. That is really helpful. Um, you're welcome. You'll remember it. Stop it. Um, but here's my prayer. It, it, stop it not because I told you to. Stop it not because I just, I plead with you to. But stop it because you realize the truth of God's word that you realize, that you truly realize the truth that is on display in, our, in, in, in the Bible. Um, hear me, there's only two really responses when it comes to Jesus' authority. Uh, on one side, uh, you can deny it. You can reject it. Um, saying, you know, you can say it in your own words, but, but, um, but I know better. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I've got this. I, I know how to live my life. I, I've got this. And, and don't think that you're above this because, church, as you read your Bible in Genesis, when, when Adam and Eve sinned for the very first time, was it not this? I know better. I know you said this, but I think this. There, there's a shift. This is, this is the first sin on repeat. I know better. I'm in control. And it's, it, it's not a submission to Christ's authority. As I kind of painted the picture of the spectrum this morning of all things spiritual, all things physical, um, the vast majority of our culture, as I've talked about, will find themselves over here. All things natural, all things physical, all things scientific, all things explainable. 
because over here, this is kind of the natural overflowing for some of rejecting the authority of Christ because over here, um, you can explain things. You can, you can um, I don't need God over here. I can explain everything here. I can reason through everything on this side, right? It's kind of the natural overflow. And it sounds familiar, right? Because this is kind of the mantra of a secular culture that we happen to live in. Um, And again, it's the sin of the garden on repeat because the authority over here is no longer the word of God. It's no longer Jesus Christ. It's ourselves. It's us. It's it's our abilities. It's, It's us. In church, everything in our culture tells you that you need to be in complete authority over your life. The gospel, however, tells us that we have a greater authority. The gospel tells us that there is joy and there is freedom found, not in autonomy, but in submission. That's what our gospel tells us. And and so no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum this morning, no matter where you find yourself, if if you are living your life as though you have no need of him, no need of his authority, no, if you, as though you are in control, church, let us repent and confess Let us come broken. Again, freedom and joy, power and hope, it's found in submission, church. The gospel tells us we have an authority that is far beyond ourselves. It's the first response that we can have is to deny it. I wanna talk about the second response, which let me just say very loud and clear, this one that I'm about to tell you is a better response, all right? The second response that we can have to the authority of Jesus is, is... that we submit to it and trust him fully. And when that happens, uh, when we do this, I just want to, for a moment, tell you what the Bible says about what happens, okay? So if, if, if we are here and we say, I, I, I trust and I submit, I wanted to share with you what the Bible says is going to happen first. As we trust in the authority of Christ, there is no room for fear and anxiety. There is an answer to the fear that plagues your life. There is an answer to the anxiety that that keeps you up at night. And that answer is not just stop fearing and stop being anxious. To tell someone who is scared to stop being scared does not work. That's not the answer. The remedy for fear is trust. So here for a moment, I want to, uh, give me a second, and I want to absolutely dump encouragement all over you, all right? You ready? This is, this is, I'm not even gonna charge for this, it's just gonna be a part of this morning, all right? This is gonna be incredible, ready? John 14, 27, Jesus says to his fearful followers, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 1 Timothy 1, 7, Paul says this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Listen to Isaiah in Isaiah uh, 43. Uh, but now, 
Thus says the Lord, he created you, O Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Let's look at some Psalms. They are really good for this. You ready? Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One more in the Psalms. Um, The Lord is on my side. Psalm 118, I will not fear. What can man do to me? a question I think we need to ask ourselves more often. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Let's look at Deuteronomy. So this is written to Israel as they are looking in the eye of people who want to kill them, their enemies. And it says this, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Adding to that, Deuteronomy 3, you shall not fear them. For it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Let me finish with one more. These are Jesus' words. So simple, so summed up. Mark 5. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. The same word for believe is the word for trust. Do not fear, trust. Do not fear, trust. The remedy for the fear and anxiety that you face in your life is found in trusting in the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. And what's great about this, I have good news, is we never have to wonder if he is trustworthy. We, we, can I trust him? Because history is full of stories of his power and his faithfulness to his people. Scripture is filled with evidence of his authority. Are you anxious? Are you fearful? All who are anxious, all who are fearful, Jesus says, do not fear trust me. When we trust the authority of Christ, there is no room, no logical room for fear. Our fear just doesn't make sense in light of our Savior. It just doesn't make sense. If you're here and you're anxious, Jesus invites you to come to him. And what I love about preaching something like this is I, all I have to say, look at what we just read. Look at what we just read and allow the Jesus that we see here to strengthen you and to encourage you and to counter and to remedy the fear that you are facing. There is boldness for a follower of Jesus. There is boldness, both in the physical and spiritual. There is boldness because our Savior has authority over all things. Um, I love those texts because all of a sudden, it becomes really foolish to fear men. Like, how foolish is it? Because as a follower of Jesus, what can they do to you? 
the worst they can do is to take your life, which in essence takes you straight to your Savior. We don't fear men. And, and also it becomes really foolish to fear the demonic because my Savior conquered death, hell, and the grave, and now through him I am more than a conqueror. It, it becomes foolish because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. There's a boldness in trusting Christ. Could you use a bit more of that? I could. Let's look at the second thing. When we trust in the authority of Jesus Christ, we are drawn to the word of God. Um, like a moth to my porch light, we are drawn to the word of God. Um, because think about it, if you, since um, you're not the answer. Since you're not the authority. Since you're not, well, since the answer, put it like this, is outside of you, right? Since it's, since it's it, would, it should drive us to God's word. It should drive us to God's word because this is the authority of God. It should drive us to God's truth. No one should have to beg you to spend time in God's word, just like I never have had to coerce a moth into spending time around my porch light. I've never had to do that. Christians, no one should have to do that for us. We should be drawn to it. When we understand the authority of Jesus Christ, we should be drawn to it. So think about this. A few weeks ago, we read the story of when Jesus was tempted. Full-blown demonic temptation just laid on to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He's the perfect Savior, Son of God, all-powerful one. What did he do? He quoted Scripture. He countered the attack with the Word of God. Why on earth would you think that you don't have to do the same? If the Savior you follow, if the Savior who possesses all authority stands on the authority of Scripture, why do we think that we've got this, that we can handle it, that we can be smart enough or wise in it? Why? It's ridiculous. Spoiler alert, you don't have this. You, you don't, the Bible tells you that you don't got this and your history tells you you don't got this. It's good English for you. We are driven to God's word because through it, God reveals himself and reveals his power. We are driven to God's word, not as an academic endeavor, but as a life transformational endeavor. We are driven to God's word, not simply to acquire head knowledge. But let me just say, there's nothing wrong with getting more head knowledge of God's word because it's hard to quote something that you've never looked at. What I am saying, though, is we are not driven to simply acquire more head knowledge. That kind of comes as a byproduct, church. We, we are driven because God's word sustains us. That's a big difference. That's a big motive difference, church. We are driven because we are sustained through it. So 
when we, as we trust in the authority of Jesus Christ, um, there's no longer room for fear and anxiety, and we are drawn to the word of God, and lastly, we are drawn to prayer. Uh, this is a little bit of a no-brainer if, as you follow this train of thought, because if you are not as in control as you thought, if you are reliant on something, on an authority outside of yourself, then you are going to be driven to prayer, not as an empty religious exercise church, but as completely reliant. If you believe that you are smart enough, that you are strong enough, um, is there any wonder why you struggle to pray? Is there any wonder why you struggle to pray? Why would we? But if we are dependent and reliant on Jesus Christ, then prayer becomes our lifeline. Think about it. Jesus, again, let's go back to his example, perfect savior of the world, all-powerful Jesus Christ, perfect one, right? Um, yet, we see in scripture that when Jesus, uh, multiple times, withdraws to go and to pray, when he is facing the, his greatest moment of attack, what is Jesus doing? He is in prayer. He is in prayer. How crazy for it is. Is it for us, again, church, for us to look at that and to look at our life, to look around and you say, you know what, I don't need that. Jesus may have needed that. I don't need that. Like, that's crazy. We follow a Savior who modeled this. And, and church, is, as we trust in Christ's authority, we are driven to prayer, not to get things from God, but to get to what God wants for us. We're driven to prayer, not to bend God's will to ours, but to be bent to his. We are driven to prayer um, to be continually conformed to him. We are driven to prayer, not as an obligation, but because of desperation. We are driven to, to prayer. Church, I want to I finish our time together uh, through a scripture, and, and as I read this, I just want to ask you, just right where you are, would you, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to pray together, and, and as I do, I just, I want to read this, this to you. It comes from Colossians. And you were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God, we have been made alive through Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Our debt has been paid through Jesus Christ. And God, rulers and authorities have been put to open shame through your son, Jesus 
Christ. All authority is yours. All authority is yours in heaven and on earth. And you don't need us to tell you that. Because it remains true whether we tell you or not. But today we choose to declare it. We choose to say it because we submit to you and acknowledge your authority. Your power, your goodness, your grace. We submit and we worship. We respond in faith, belief, in trust. It is because of this, it is because of him, it is because of Jesus Christ that we live, that we move, that we have our being, and that we pray. Amen.